then we come on and we talk about Ireland's attack shape. It's really exciting. I don't, I don't remember ever getting that call 15 years ago. <laughs> the Six Nations on OTB. Don't miss a moment of the action. Subscribe to the OTB Rugby podcast feed now. You are very welcome along. It is time for the Sunday papers. If you're getting us on Twitter, you can tweet us at Off the Ball, or if you're watching on YouTube, I would love if you left a comment below and give us a thumbs up as well. We're going to be with you for uh, the next hour or so, and I'll take you through some of the headlines first off. And as you can imagine, it is rugby leading the way pretty much everywhere this morning. Ireland falls short is the headline on the front of the Sunday Independent sports section. Missed opportunity in Paris for Andy Farrell's side as France end Grand Slam dream. The back of the Irish Daily Mail, meanwhile, goes with reality check. Ireland's winning run comes to a shuddering halt in Paris Cauldron, but Farrell focuses on the positives. The Sunday World, meanwhile, go with we blew it. Errors allow French juggernaut roll over our Grand Slam dream. A photograph there of Antoine Dupont scoring at the opening try after just a couple of moments of the game yesterday when I think everybody thought that it could have been a bit of a disaster for Ireland. As it turned out, it was a six-point defeat in the end and potentially could have been a better result for Ireland. At the back of the Irish Sun on Sunday, Mercy killing is the headline on uh, the rugby which shares the back page with Paul Pogba Shirkers is their headline on that story their one all draw with Southampton in view here uh, Paul Scholes quoted from BT Sport flops don't want to put a shift in and Luke Shaw says stop the rot or forget Champions League you've also got Gordon Manning reporting from Croke Park there yesterday uh, the greatest ever late late show at Croke Park he says late boomers earn first titles incredible scenes Bally Gunner with that astonishing goal uh, to beat Bally Hale in the hurling final and then of course Kilku after extra time with a lake all of their own to win their title against Kilmacoke Croaks at the back page of the star on Sunday is French Fried France 30 Ireland 24 with a picture of a fairly dejected looking Finley Bealham there uh, Nasty Nick then is their headline on Manchester United Ralph hits back at Scholes but knows United need more aggression. And also, uh, David Moyes says it's damaging. Uh, he knows the damage that cat kicker Kurt Zuma has done to the club, he says, on the back of the star. Uh, the Sunday Mirror then, they lead with Manchester United. Stop being Saints. Booed off by fans and raging Ralph tells United, get nasty and we can go far. Andy says this is only the start. That is, of course, Andy Farrell talking about Ireland's six-point defeat in Paris yesterday. And then the Sunday Times goes with falling short. Ireland losing Paris, but go down fighting. And also there, Ranić, my players need to be nastier. So uh, that is a flavour of the back pages this morning, Manchester United, but uh, the rugby dominating things. Sports writer, sports writer Kina Foley is with us in studio. How are you getting on, Kina? Good, thank you. And Gavin Comiskey of the Irish Times, also with us in studio. Two studio guests. I was shot down earlier on when I suggested that uh, we wave green flags and have Ireland's call blaring out here, but uh, we, we move and we do not do such a thing. Uh, Gavin, this is really interesting, the coverage this morning. It seems that there is a, a little bit of a conflict between uh, the tone coming out of the Ireland camp and some of the analysis of certainly the decision-making late on in that game. Yeah, um, well, it just all comes back to James Ryan as the captain and himself and Joey Carberry made a decision to kick three points on this, in the 72nd minute when Ireland were behind by six and it proved the ball game. Now, afterwards... Um, first thing I did this morning when I woke up was I read Brendan Fanning Peter O'Reilly David Walsh to make sure my eyes weren't confusing me or something what I saw was you definitely go for the corner you go for the four try bonus so even if you do lose you're walking away with that the three points that Joey Carberry kicked implied that they were going for a draw and 
they, they came out strongly afterwards and said we thought we were going to get another opportunity and we did but um, the only people who were speaking publicly about saying it was the right call or the Irish camp everyone who has eyes and could see what happened and at the time this is not hindsight stuff everyone was screaming at their TVs that I know that you don't you don't kick those three points you go for the win you go for, France were knackered and they got to regroup under their posts and then they came back and won the game um, so Andy Farrell is I, I think what happened was Carberry and Ryan were interviewed quite quickly after the game mm. and they both come out with quotes it was completely the right decision both of them said it really strongly <laughs> so Andy Farrell can't go into a press conference then and go against his captain and his out half who were his, his young captain and his young out half who were going to be driving Ireland to the next World Cup so he just said Farrell comes out and goes yeah it's the right decision there's no doubt about that they feel the game they're in the moment they understand what's happening and there was plenty of time left in the moment that they didn't feel the game correctly as far as every rugby correspondent's uh, opinion so you know I think they've, they've what, out of a brilliant second half performance and a great comeback they've created a little rut for themselves that they, was completely avoidable by why did they destroy their cliches about learnings and they would have been out the gate here and no, everyone would be focusing on what was a fantastic performance in the well, second half. They scored off a line-out as well, haven't they? they, got a, they scored yeah, now the line-out had been shaky all day, yes, though. Yes, so they had got a try w- off I line think it was Peter Riley or, or Brendan Fanning implied that maybe Ryan was a bit shaky after, and he had gone off injured and come he back had, on. Yeah. Maybe he was a bit shaky because the, la- the line-out beforehand had let them down, and he was like, we'll take the points and come back. But the logic of the three points there it demanded that you need you need to go get another try to win the game so why not get the try mm. get in front for the first time in the match and then batten down the hatches France again as they prove we're going to come back down and get another score look it was a poor decision and the, the fact that they're digging their heels in is just going to create a narrative that is so easy to avoid mm. well, um, Peter O'Reilly's one on it is uh, he also says I think because you could see there was a huddle and I think Ian Henderson like might have been huddle, not far away as well so he mentions it because he said a few players seem to be in on the decision making it it may have been Ian Henderson who made the call for goal but he is a very telling line he said you know what Sexton would have done Mm. And I think probably a lot of people at home are thinking Sexton would have gone for the line. The French yeah. pack definitely agreed with the decision. Well, it gave them a <laughs> breather the as well because they were on. They were. It gave them a breather. They their, were wrecked. You know, cliche. Ireland literally had their foot in their throat. They were. Yeah. Just, uh, they were run out of gas. Their subs hadn't made the impact that they were supposed to make physically. Like people like Finley Beelham, I thought that was going to be a problem. It wasn't. But you could see the props were left on. The Irish props were left on for ages. Yeah. But yeah, France just completely calmed down when they kicked that point. Where it's like after this goes over the bar, we're still in front and we're. Going 50 metres upfield. It's a poor decision. It was the wrong decision, you know. And, and the thing is that the tone is that it was it was absolutely the correct call. It's, it's not it's not so much a tone of you know we'll we'll, we'll try and uh, assess that as the week goes on, or, or maybe on a different day they could have done something different. It's very much this was the the correct call. So so like I mean, is there an outcome here that they're looking at that wasn't draw? Like I mean, what, what, that, that's the only explanation here. But even that is a, is a fairly unsatisfying outcome, isn't it? But did they know they had three tries? That yeah. would be a question we're putting to them straight after the game. Um, look, I'll say what Brendan Fanning said about it. He goes, this raises the issue of leadership. In the last few days, Ireland coach has had back-to-back concerns about his crew of captains. First, Johnny Sexton pulled out, been presented as a minor soft tissue. Then Ryan went off just before half-time and we feared the worst. And he did come back on. He was back at harness as the team ran out for the second half. You'd never question the bravery, but that call to chase seven points was a bad read. Mm. And it's very hard not to dress it up that way. It, it does. It Look, again, it, they've lost in Paris, a, a courageous defeat in Paris, and it brings an, a, a, does bring a focus on their leadership because when we're, Ireland are in a World Cup quarterfinal in France in 2023, probably in a similar cauldron to this, it will be Ryan and Carberry making the calls. Yeah. And 
if they make a call like that we'll get knocked out of the World Cup you know yeah. and they will have to make the, I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be the two of them making those calls so long as they don't both get injured um, they are going to be the two senior men and that is an out half's decision every day of the week like it's always your out half overrules your captain in that situation and he goes we go for and Sexton definitely would have gone for the win because yeah. <laughs> he's also very good at doing maths on the pitch he's very good at reading situations he knows the flows of games that's one of his strengths but yeah that was I'm not trying to heap it on Carberry because he had, a, he had a fine game you know and it was his first Six Nations start and it was in Paris but that's when he takes the ball and goes no the three points is not as much use to us now let's kick to the corner and let's let's. and the thing is they not necessarily would have won they would have got a point up and I bet you he, I do think because he kicked two touchliners beforehand they go one point up with his conversion from a, a mall try and it just puts all the pressure on France as yeah. opposed to France were walking up to halfway three points up with no pressure on them just like let's go kill the game yeah. and yeah. It physically it physically it physically gave them a breather as well and you could see they were really struggling they were really really struggling for gas like the consensus generally um, across the pa- papers and it varies is is Carberry did a good job up to a certain point and that is the one uh, area of question why was he taking off uh, yeah he's taken off incredibly late in the game and I, I somebody threw a forward pass that somebody killed, mentions killed off that actually um, yeah um, um, I think Neil Francis in the Sunday Times says that why on earth was he taken off when the match was there to be won? He says he the coach like, blinked is, is Neil yeah, Francis' line right. when, when yeah. they were chasing yeah. the game. Yeah. game in the 78 minute you know um, puts, it's, it's not fair on him either but maybe, maybe he had a knock so we'll give yeah. him the benefit of the doubt um, and the, the, the one other one I suppose if you if you're just looking at anything else that's been raised as well Brendan Fanning is very emphatic in his opinion when he says um, when when Ireland through bravery and opportunism had made a game of it again and needed to get from third third gear to fourth Conor Murray was not the man for the job mm. and he just felt everything it, slowed down when he came on yeah. and you know you notice Conor Murray comes on the pitch for Gibson Park because he's so much taller you know he yeah. just stands and the nine is the person you see every time you're looking at the screen and yeah now and he's not he's not blaming anything like uh, the, I suppose the tenor of, of Brendan Fanny's piece is look physically they had it on us you know what I mean that's the frailty that's there it's just we just do not have people of that size yeah, Gibson you know, Park had a great game when you consider every rook took two to three seconds yeah. <laughs> yeah. there was no quick ball it no there was no, there was, no. Like, that's how France won this game that's it's how Ireland have lost all their working. big games over the years so their ball gets slowed down and this team in particular uh, it's a team of Andy Farrell's team is a team of athletes that's the way they're going to be for the next while everyone's a back rower in the pack that's mm. the whole way and they really are like Ty Byrne yet again um, had a brilliant game he should be he should have 50 more caps than he has yeah. already you know he's been outstanding but just uh, on the Carberry physically thing, they couldn't live with them and we'll get to that in just a moment but just to kind of wrap up on, on the Carberry point is, is the experience at the end of the game yesterday not exactly the sort of thing we've been yearning for over the last what, while exactly, the, the I, sort of should I, Sexton be you know, I think, you, I, think re- I think you're, you're like also Carby hasn't played that much you know what I mean he's, he was really literally coming yeah. in very undercooked so absolutely these are the big games he needs to get the experience in. Yeah. I mean that's for sure like I mean does it come down to a, like a, a talking point now that you look at someone like Joey Carberry and it's going to take time to maybe not make a conservative decision as Bernard Jackman describes it in the paper this morning to, to, to make that brave decision that that'll just come with, with experience and that confidence will, as well I think. And yeah. confidence. about confidence and, and it will come with maybe a brave coaching decision potentially over the next few months when they go down to New Zealand is that a sort of cauldron that you're just throwing Joey Carberry into straight away as you're starting 10 and saying listen this is it now if, if we really are this obsessed about the World Cup this is your chance to, to, to be in those sort of moments where you've got to make these sort of decisions he's going to finish in Twickenham or he's going to start in Twickenham anyway you don't yeah. he, he needs a few more games before he goes to New Zealand because that's not a place to learn um, so he this decision himself and James Ryan will be in conclave again mm. this year I imagine about something similar to this but either trying to stay in a game against a huge pack or but 
like the French were were, were so obviously flagging, you know. Mm. Yeah. And mm. maybe they'll look. They're but all they're a united front uh, against the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone can see what happened. So fine, that's good for their unity and all that. But privately, they need to be having discussions about what a, we do the next time we're in this situation. Isn't there a confidence that you need in a number ten? You know, like even looking at Finn Russell, no matter whether it's right or wrong, he will do it because he believes this is the right thing to do. And I just think Carberry is lacking that self-confidence and that will only come with more and more of these big games where you have all that pressure, pressure piling on you and you make big decisions he, and then you think, I can make those decisions again. You know, it's just you know it's I mean? a he confidence lacks thing. self-confidence. He does because he's never been in the situation. Yeah. But he's closed out two games against the All Blacks. He's, yes. He loves big occasions. He's, he seems like a fearless. And his place kicking was really important. Was, yeah, was, and was really good. So, yeah, yeah I doesn't like they, they, we, we're not going on about transitions now in Saxon anymore, but there's no harm with uh, Joey Carberry starting and tweaking him. That'll be, that's the, if you want to think about the World Cup, that's what you do. He, yeah. um, Shane O'Gra in the mail this morning says Carberry will be uh, will come good out of this. He will start against Italy, and if he plays yeah. well there, he should keep his place. He says form should be rewarded, sport is ruthless. And he says that if the veteran Johnny Sexton had started, the outcome would have been the same yesterday. Do you go along with that? No. Barn would have won if Sexton was playing. Well, well, no, I'm not sure that they would have won, but I think they would have gone. They would have gone for the lineout. That's the difference, yeah. I'd say. For the better chance of winning, <laughs> they just got to try off the lineout wall. So yeah, yeah. And is that it? Is it just that would. decision? Are you looking at the rest of Carberry's game yesterday and saying no, Carberry like, and Gibson Gibson Park played very well, considering they were in a, they were on under, the back under the, the entire under game so much and they were swarmed the entire yeah. game yeah. and they held their own and they grew into the game and their pack. Uh, it was monumental stuff from the pack to get so badly beaten up for about 50 minutes and then to claw their way back into it mm. like Kelher got taken out Sheehan came on and was just like there's a test hooker for the next 10 years no problem yeah, yeah. looks very uh, good uh, James yeah. Ryan went off Ian Henderson came on um, Peter O'Mahony came on and I think he got HIA'd and he was gone and so like it was all hands on deck the entire time like this was France's uh, we are the best team in the world kind of a party and he could yeah. feel, that's what it looked yeah. like in the Stade de France they were like wanted to ram that home and prove it but they showed real flaws in 60 to 70 minutes when Ireland started to creep back into the game one thing I noticed after um, in the last six months under Andy Farrell is Ireland are going to be in every single game against every single team they play against mm-hmm. that's just the way this team is built now you know what I mean and that backed it up so that's that's encouraging but um, yeah there is a leadership issue but these lads have never been in these leadership positions enough you know so that, again it is a good thing that but um it was the wrong decision. <laughs> the thing is that Bernard Jackman kind of points to that then. He says uh, in, in the French context, the decision of their management to go to Australia last summer without their frontliners looks to have been an inspired choice. Granted, there's a much greater player pool that they would have had yeah. the luxury of doing that compared to Ireland. But they had to go through a, a little bit of short-term pain. And you produce Germany, you know, who's well, because already seems to Because of the league, the French are like always going without their top players yeah. because the league's yeah. still yeah. on. So, yeah, yeah that the yeah, one, one's the fair one, enough, I suppose. The one, the one thing that I, I caught my eyes more than I couldn't believe he said Rory Best is, is, is writing for the Sunday Independent and and like the most desperate mistake that Ireland made at the very start of the game allowing that, that quick line out and his comment is it happens in Paris they just leave the dressing room wired for action like I don't understand how you can say that like these are professional players Ireland come out equally hyped up surely but like that that first try all came from um, probably not a great kick from, from Gibson Park and then right. The line-up was done before MD even knew what, what happened. It was a, a piece of genius, of course, by DuPont. But, like, how... 
you know, that's the one thing you do say. How can you not be tuned in for that at the start of the game? And how can you say France are really tuned in more, you know, in if Paris? Ireland are like, kicking with this Ireland team, that means they're in trouble because yeah. it's it was not just a box, such a bad error that put them on the back foot, wasn't it? means that it's it? a slow ball, you know. Yeah, it was just such a bad error that put them on the back foot straight away, like 20 you seconds in or whatever. Hansen, though, Gleena, as well. That, yeah, I know. That, that was, was a million tries. And it was, but it was the brilliant catch. drop off. He went to the left as well. You see where he caught it. Wasn't even, it wasn't even a straightforward over the head catch. It was an incredible piece of skill. You superstar from Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Like, so then just to kind of go back to what you were talking about there, Gavin, in terms of the, the power that Ireland came up against in that pack, why is this different to the concerns that Ireland would have had about a power game in 2019, for example? Because uh, like Rory Best is making the point that it's going to be an issue against England when we meet them too. So this is going to be a theme and it has been a theme for Ireland. Yeah, well, it's always been a theme as well, but uh, that's why the Irish team is a pack of... That's why the props are... Can, are all, like that's why our, oh, the two hookers that Ireland have now, Kelleher and Sheen, they are back rowers. You know, mm-hmm. that's why Byrne is a second row. We know he's a six. You know, he's an t- open side almost. And um, so we have a we have a method of playing against these gargantuan packs. But the um, over, most important thing for James and Gibson Park to run the show is quick ball. And France, Galtier and the lads, they just said, look, if you get in and you style me that, they cannot beat Ireland. Can't beat you. You know, mm-hmm. if you kill their, if you just slow their ball in by half a second the Irish tactics the Irish attacks flounders you see there was so much tackling behind the gain line that was all Williamson was slowing the ball down it was all he the French. clearly targeted yeah he even. just did it all day and it only just takes a second of him just getting in there and Ireland tried to do it to them and just physically couldn't do it they just got blown out of it you know also I don't and I don't think England are are, are going to pre- provide the same sort of challenge mm. unless two well two laggies probably going to be back so yeah maybe a, but they don't look they don't look as uh, anything like as good as they ha- dominant and they don't look as creative I mean Farrell obviously is a problem being without him but I just haven't seen I, I just the first game I don't think you're going to get that same combination that France have of power and pace and skill I don't think England have shown that Ed Jones must be allowed coach just for World Cups it just must be part of the package of the deal you can they've messed up so many Six Nations and he's always master plan master plan it feels like they're tied up in knots now and everything is just revolves around having two it's like John Kiley with the Limerick Hurlers <laughs> just give him the jab it's a, it's a very good point is it a situation though that we're seeing two nations going at um, trying to win the World Cup next year and France being like screw it let's just win every single game let's just come out this year and just win every game whereas England are like keep our powder dry 2023 we hit the ground running I'll just clarity to France yeah. there's been clarity since Galtier took over for the first time ever yeah. <laughs> where you can really see the coaching and the clarity and the, the levels of fitness the defence everything is just the worst nightmare for the world and for France to get their act together it's it, happening oh, now it, was it in the Irish Times in your paper yesterday it was a very good piece on him and there was like you know he is not liked he is extremely hard on players Galtier he is, yeah Galtier is yeah, he's a difficult. serious 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 yeah. disciplinarian he had a go at Sexton but, there yesterday saying Sexton motivated <laughs> but all Sexton said was we just want to silence the crowd and he, he just flipped this on its head you know but he has brought He's brought he's brought that uh, discipline to them, you know that hasn't been. There. Sean Edwards has too. Yeah, yeah. and Sean Edwards clearly yeah. defensively as well. And that Sean Edwards point is, is mentioned by Bernard Jackman in his piece. He yeah. says yesterday's loss is far from fatal. Farrell and his coaching group know they had an opportunity to see how the best defence coach in the world tried to stop them. And from a scrum point of view, we will need to find a way to overcome a huge weight deficit. He says like better to be exposed to these things now and still have a, a real chance rather than at a later stage when there's no time to come back, which we've kind of discussed already. But does the way in which France overpowered Ireland yesterday frank the change in style of play that Ireland had produced over the last little while because it seems to me that maybe a, a Schmidt game plan would have been a little bit more predicated on power than the current one is well Schmidt uh, game plan is not much different in the sense that uh, the way Paul O'Connell coaches now as well is you're, it's all about 
excellence at the rook, like mm. perfection at the rook yeah. that gets you quick ball and then you can do anything you want with it. Um, so that's the, that's the same thing. Ireland are playing South Africa in the World Cup quarterfinal probably or so you, France is the best test for what South Africa is. So now I'd be interested to see how, how O'Connell and Easterby and they all and Fogarty talk about how what they do next when somebody like Willowsome is in there slowing the ball down. Is it a Caelan Doris's job? Is it someone's job to just remove to be like perfection at the rooks is everything if you get it we've just never got it in, in big games at World Cups but you've seen it in big like against New Zealand last November we proved that we can do it France is slightly more disruptive uh, pack so it's again it, it's a very coachable thing for us everything is like it's not the end of the world seeing a big pack dominate them like that because you saw the way they clawed their way back into it mm. and that was also down to like excellent technique like perfect technique going in over the ball securing ball and Gibson Park's try like even shows it himself like there was France were ragged enough that he had a one-on-one with, with Willemson actually and stepped him for the try so there is um, yeah, I, I'd be really interested to see how the Irish coaches talk about how they handle the next that's, French that's practice physicality yeah. yeah Roy Best is actually quite good on that today I, like that was the only thing I thought I just took issue with that was saying like they were all asleep you know and it, but he does talk about the the, the the angle that you're going in at the rook and he was saying if you get you know you, you, you've got to get lower otherwise you're just going in to get it with a wrestling match and these, if, mm-hmm. if you're smaller in the wrestling match you're going to lose it so he does actually that's the one thing he probably gives good insight a very good insight into that as well, but, yeah. yeah yeah exactly yeah so are we saying here then that this is going to be long-term gain after yesterday's pain for, for Ireland is that, is that what we're saying like I mean David Walsh is saying Ireland have had some really good days in powers but the second half performance was perhaps the best 40 minutes they've played at this stadium like, that is the level of praise that is in the papers it was a great morning. match yeah. it truly was it so, just um, we've just had so I don't think it's the same as the nearly misses we've had Ireland have had in the past you know it, it does feel a little bit different because in every other year, they would have lost by twenty, thirty points. There, there's been some. There's been we've come back and just brave returns in the past, but this one, the, the team came back and should have won the game. Mm. That that's the difference. You know, it's not a. It, it wasn't just a brave defeat. It was a, something that they're disgusted that they're not going to win a Grand Slam this year. I think it can. They think it can motivate them to win the championship because they know that there's no other team as good as that. Everyone else they play now, they should be a better rugby team. So if they if they. Improve the leadership and the and the decision making at key moments. Um, I think they can still go win the championship. Brendan Fanning has a great line. He said it was a Valentine's weekend with all the romance of an abattoir. That's <laughs> <laughs> a good line. Also, can we give a shout out to Dan Bigger? I, I mean, talk about heroic, and it's covered in some of the papers today. But like, it was the equivalent. I kept thinking it was like uh, it was like you know that the scene from Monty Python where the guy gets his legs cut, cut off. You know, finally, and he goes, "Come back, and I'll bite your legs off." Like, how did he stay on the field and keep going? And there were times that I was looking at saying, "Take him off," because the guy is injured, and yet he he refused to come off, and he just kept pulling out. Scotland yet again can't back it up. Though, oh, yeah. yeah. Is it, is, it, is it more a story of Wales or more a story of Scotland yesterday? Yeah, no, fair play. You're, you're right about everything you said. And there, Russell getting carded again. <laughs> can't back up beating England. This, this, it's the same old story for them, unfortunately. Yeah, it definitely seems that way. We're going to leave uh, the rugby there. We're going to have uh, plenty more on OTB over the course of the next couple of days on that. Uh, we wanted to turn our attention to, to the football because it's obviously been a fairly interesting week with regards to the League of Ireland towards the FAI and of course uh, a brand new bid uh, the World Cup dreams are dead <laughs> and uh, the Euro dreams are once again alive after they were snatched from us last year uh, as a result of Covid so we've got a couple of people with a, a few different views on this uh, if we go to the Sunday Independent we've got 
Tommy Conlon saying uh, we might end up feeling a little bit silly if it comes to the neighbouring islands and we are left looking at it from the outside like Billy No Mates while they are making merry inside. So as you can tell, uh, Tommy Conlon's in favour of uh, the Euros coming to uh, to Ireland. Whereas on page 64 on the Mail on Sunday, Shane McGrath takes a, a different view on that. The headline, misguided Euros bid, distracts from real issues. Uh, is it possible to have both of these things, to focus on the real issues and also have a pretty meaningful Euros bid? Well, Barrett and Hale spoke for an hour to the Daily reporters this week because they wanted to try and get that, get that point across that it is possible to have them and they they refused uh, to give up to put a figure on how much the bid's going to cost um, the, the real impression that they were trying to put out there was that this is almost in the bag that they're going to win Euro 2028 and let's, it's not going to cost us much it's not going to affect how we invest in academies and everything but we're like okay just tell us how much and I think they just refused to say how much it's going to cost because whatever that figure is even if it's really low it will be used to bang over their head when somebody else needs when the facilities in this country are looked at um, not to quote Damien Duff again but they are horrific in comparison to the GAA mm. so um, yeah it was a very interesting um, what they did this week Hill, one of the things I noticed about it was Jonathan Hill wasn't left out there on his own as the chief executive who and the whole commuting to London Dublin thing Roy Barrett just put it away saying this man is doing a good job as a CEO we haven't got a shirt sponsor yet though, but we're working hard on it and him commuting is not that big a deal it's a new world move on and he was also like can we stop branding us as the old FAI we're the new FAI we have this board now and you know, he still didn't give us any reason and, and didn't explain how the strategic plan is going to be put into practice yeah. and he didn't explain any of the co- where the monies are go- coming from and, and how they're going to be spent but uh, it was still quite impressive the two of them there was a united front there between Barrett and Hill to the media and it was supposed to be a 20 minute press conference and it went for 54 minutes right. so they wanted to get away from the Dublin London commute thing <laughs> so they were <laughs> taking as many questions as they could you know it was interesting um, Barrett's very impressive and the fact that he is going to make sure that Hill is seen because nobody knows who Jonathan Hill is yet you know not in this country like someone was saying to me they're getting a taxi out to Abbotstown and some, the taxi man goes is, is Delaney still there you know <laughs> Yeah, I suppose that's one of the best things about the CEO now is people don't know him. You know what I mean? Um, that's probably what, always a good probably thing. They say, want. yeah, always a good but thing. Bart made it very clear that as a United, uh, the FAI are all on the same page, and they're going, they're going for a, a bright new dawn. That was well, you, look at you. Do you know you can produce reports as long as you like, but it does always come back to money in, in a lot of ways. You know, it does come. It comes back to leadership, and it comes back to money. Philip Quinn um, in the Mail on Sunday has some interesting ideas. Like he just again, it was pointed out during the week, but again, that notion of we've got no shirt sponsor for the national senior men's team you know uh, what's going on here you know Irish the Irish Open Golf has got a sponsor recently there was you know 1.8 million he was saying in sponsors across two days in Leopardstown recently so do do people view the brand as a bit toxic still should there be a name change and I think that was probably raised that's what Barrett was trying Washington. to say he was like this is a different brand that we're promoting now they're changing the logo even, yeah you know? <laughs> they haven't changed the name it exactly. is Hill's job Hill was brought as, an, as a commercial name, expert to bring in a sponsor yeah. that was one yeah, of his yeah. That's his. That's jobs, his strength. You know, presumably so, from what you read about him. They did say the market's changed, and they, 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 the, the the stuff that they do need to break on it is a COVID market, a post-COVID market, and 
Um, but er, that is one of the number one things that they need to do is put a, put a name on a jersey. Yeah. You know? So Shane McGrath's, yeah, Shane McGrath is absolutely, absolutely against it. And he says, you know, pitching for competitions, he says he's, he's old enough to remember Gay Mitchell's desire to get the Olympics to Ireland. I remember that one as well. And the 2023, the bid for the, for the World Cup. Mm. But um, so his, his, I suppose his misguided Euros bid, bid distracts from the real issues. And I think people, that's the worry for people is, is, how much work would it involve and would it distract people in the FAI from the vital work that needs There's to be done a three-man in the game? team on it, two FAI staff and then Declan Conroy who's been working on all the previous bids. Yeah. So they're not putting too much... It, it, they really did sound like they, they know that they've got this because I think Portugal and Spain are switching to the World Cup 2030. So it sounded like they're, this is a win-win. Was, that, was the, that was the vibe that they're trying to put out. But in the yeah. same thing, in the same press conference, you're asking them, going, okay, who's the, when are you going to hire a director of football? When are you going to get a sponsor? When's Stephen Kenny's contract coming out? What about replacing Anthony Barry, which is a huge hole that Kenny has to go fill? Which, yeah. which has just top, popped up. For he, was, he nearly did too good a job in finding him in the first place. Yeah. You know, <laughs> because the way, the, the noises about how he was doing his job were so good that Belgium just came and took him, and that's nobody's fault. But you needed more Anthony Barry right. slander, basically. Yeah, yeah. The director of football, the lack of a director of football in the FAI is... I suppose has to be top of the list before even a sponsor because that's how everything that's how you that's what leads it yeah yeah. yeah. so um, but they really said Kenny's contract will be sorted and the management team before the Belgium game so which is March I think did, did you get any clarity on those questions do you feel the other day or, or was it a sense of you know uh, two very uh, two fresh faces in an FAI context and that's kind of papering over the same cracks that have always been there really long highly intelligent people giving answers without saying much right. um, yeah, it was quite interesting mm. to get them to speak at length because you could see um, you could understand why Roy Barrett was MD of Good Buddies for so long um, you get that from sitting with him in a press conference uh, but um, no they didn't tell us how one of the most interesting things was does the director of football uh, does the FAI director of football not have to be Irish now because you really have to have a nuanced understanding of how this game works here that was the one that was leveled that was the the negative that was levelled at Rude Doctor the whole time that did he understand the Irish game now, and also and even, and even just to add to that understand that nuances and that row that's going on between schoolboys as well that's a very nuanced thing in the so Irish we context we do know with that does director of football has to either go one way or the other does he stay on the, the path that they were on previously with the Dutch ideas or do they rip up that script and so that's why he was leaning towards someone who has to really understand the Irish game and that kind of only points to an Irish person, you know. Yeah. So. so if you look at Shane McGrath, that's his point, is that there, there are these nuances that somebody, these are the stuff that that needs to be sorted out and why have a, a distraction? As he was saying, uh, you know, the chance to host a Switzerland-Poland last 16 game in the Aviva Stadium in six years' time will not determine the ongoing health of, of Irish football. And then Tommy Conlon, as always, who's such a lovely writer, you know, um, comes at it actually from a totally different yeah. point of view. You know, a totally different point of view. And I think they're well worth reading, both of them. Um, and he's been Basically, one is, look, you know, uh, there's people in there, things are changing, but, you know, one of the things about hosting big international stuff is just ge- the general gaiety of the nation, if you like, and, you know, just the, the chance to have decent football here and people to go to have it. Um, and he, he, he has a great line that he says, perhaps in this case, a better metric might be this, you know, the estimated contribution to the gaiety of the nation. Obviously, it would take a different type of economist to measure that kind of spin-off. The purveyors of the dismal science might have to suck in a few jazz fags before getting out their calculators <laughs> for that job, which is a great line. Um, and he was saying exactly what you're saying that you know the early smoke signals from UEFA are that you know they're positive to this. So, but it's it, it, he actually has a he actually then takes it into I suppose a, 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 a lash at you know League of Ireland fans who you know just 
you know, see anything that distracts from the the building of the league um, as and you know. Not, 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 not on their agenda, and so he does have quite a harsh right, thing at them. He was talking this week to Shamrock Rovers manager. He goes that uh, he goes. I hope that Euro twenty twenty eight will lead to facilities, real proper facilities in every League of Ireland club. Yeah, but, but it wouldn't, you see. I, well, see, I that's they the question: they is where joined, is the money coming from? They could have linked that up, and we would have been okay. But that's not happening. So that was. Yeah. That, that that's was the whole point. Like, I mean, the, the, this is different. I mean, like, it's stating the, the obvious here, but this is different from a World Cup bid, or from the World Cup twenty twenty three bid, or from the pie in the sky Olympic games. It shouldn't cost much money. The, the facilities exist. Like, yeah, the, this Olympics thing is like, oh, there will be a great legacy from the new things oh, that we no. will build, and uh, we'll have a we'll have a brand new stadium and all that. I, I would assume that it's. It's with the existing facilities, which maybe, is clearly. Maybe yeah. that's what Hill said that the Aviva Stadium is ready to go. I presume yeah. Crow Park would need a bit of work if they expand the numbers of the Euros. Of course, if the tournament and is that format, se- Ireland yeah. could, should get a second stadium if the way it's looking at because it, it'll only be one up in Scotland and then the Principality in Wales and then a bunch of English. But what I noticed was that they weren't uh, leading the bid with this will be Wembley final, Wembley semis. So no point. mention of the word Wembley, basically. Well, it probably will be the final, <laughs> but for obvious reasons, due to last summer's violence and madness at the Euros, there was no mention of Wembley quite now just until I think that's still a bad word when it comes to bidding yeah. for tournaments not palatable enough to be the UEFA representative for the World Cup bid but totally fine for Euro 2028 it seems is my read on that is that's just a row over with FIFA and UEFA over the biennial World Cup right because the biennial World Cup is supposed to start in the summer of uh, when Euro 2028's on so that's a whole other um, thing above our pay grade the political rows of, 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 of global football like the, the the point that that uh, Tommy Connor makes is a, is a relatively scathing one of of the League of Ireland uh, supporter Tina that you mentioned there. Like he, he says that um, the, the most of the opposition to your twenty twenty eight came from within the League of Ireland lobby, and he says within League of Ireland culture there was a low level but abiding hostility towards the Premier League because the vast majority of football fans in this country support the latter and not the former. Some League of Ireland devotees like to indulge in a type of inverted snobbery via via the barstoolers who prefer Manchester United or Liverpool to St. Pat's or Shamrock Rovers. It's a kind of beleaguered cultural snobbery from the chap who likes to believe he has chosen virtue over populism. Whereas I, I, I can absolutely see that the natural point from a League of Ireland standpoint where they are sitting in the grounds that are crumbling and thinking to themselves, should we not have the football organisation that runs the show here entirely focused on what we're doing? Especially when you're given, given the, 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 I guess, uh, the, the furloughing of of staff or pay cuts in the the FAI even over the last little while there is a value on each staff member in the FAI there will be a distraction from the work that needs to be done at grassroots level the facilities that you talk about in the context of Stephen Bradley in the context of what Damien Duff has said over the last little while and I, can, and I can totally understand why a League of Ireland supporter would think to themselves are we taking our eye off the most important ball here Well Bradley's made, made a really key point on that this week he goes there's a lot of people talking to each other about a lot of things that are really good for Irish sport but they're not in the same room at the same time mm. so there's going to be two FAI trips to government one to ask for facilities for grassroots and one to ask for a bit to help support the bid for your 2028 if they, and Bradley just goes, why can't that just be the same conversation? It doesn't make why quite it should surely should be. And actually, Tommy's piece. I'm sure the FBI can give a really yeah. good, and really <laughs> long answer for why that can't yeah, be. Where you're yeah. going for two different departments, and they are there is dialogue now with them and Packy oh, Bonner and all of that. Oh, with the cap, capital funding during the week, like money did come out, but it it it's it's his. 
Tommy's piece is, is a, an overall look because he's saying, look at what they had to do this week. They start the week by talking about 2028. Then they come out with a, a, a national plan, a, a very detailed national plan that Gavin's described at. Um, and then you've got the launch of the National League. And all of those things, I suppose, in the week shows exactly, you know, the, the ball of, of fire that they're dealing with after coming off of what he calls a 60 million inherited debt from the last days of the Roman Empire. Yeah. So um, so it's, wor- it's worth looking at, you know, but it, it, he does, he is harsh. He, on the League of Ireland, he says, it's a, times, it's a times like last week that one wonders if the League of Ireland ever has anything else to offer but the poor mouth and the handout for money from the FAI, from the government, from everyone but themselves. But, I mean, that is... Oh, a, it is harsh. I think it's harsh as well. Um, well, it is, and there's, a, there's an interesting piece we'll talk about later on about a, a, a team in Belgium and how they have... Um, also, well, you know, from nowhere, are, are basically become the Leicester of the Belgian league at mm. the moment. But also, one of the things that they've done is by creating an identity for themselves within their community. So they're anti-racist. You know, they're they're on the left. You oh, know, and it, yeah, but it's an interesting comparison, I think, with Bowles here. Yeah. And and it's a it's a good piece that's well worth reading in the Sunday Times well, because actually you can now, then, when you re- yeah when you read it you actually Im- Im- immediately do think think of Bowles the model right the potential model uh, for what we could do and we everyone kind of went oh okay. Okay, can we get some detail on this? Because we've got Anthony Barry as coach. Is that the, is that the model yeah. we're talking here? But no, no, nothing to do with Anthony Barry. He really did. Just he goes Belgium is. Right. It was three different. He, there was uh, Jonathan Hill did three appearances this week. Two different. Two on one on YouTube, one on Zoom with the other CEOs of of the UK associations. And uh, each time the word Belgium came out of his mouth as a the model for. But they started something in 1998. That's where they are now. So in 20 years' time, maybe. I don't know if he'll be CEO. But, but was he? But, but, no. but I presume he was talking about Belgium in the context of Belgium building themselves up to become this number one team that everybody's looking at and the type of football and everything. But I just think this is an interesting story in relation to a team building itself up in a national league, you know, in, and in relation to the League of Ireland and, and how you create an identity and a following for yourself and monetize it and do all those things. And yeah. they're a team called Royal U- Royal Union San Gilois. Excuse my bad my pronunciation, but they're based in Brussels and they're. Actually co-owned by Tony Bloom, who owns Brighton, and a, a business mate of his, this guy called Alexa Muzio. But they bought them for a, a load of reasons, and they got involved. Like, and, and there's a very interesting piece here on even the amount of Belgian clubs that have English club connections and how they're all connected. But like they're in Brussels, they figured we can commute. It's easy to commute, get in and out. There's a certain amount of spend we'll make on them. But this, they haven't won the league in 87 years. And they're, and they're leading the Belgian League at the moment. It's a really, really interesting piece. Um, it it's kind of starts off uh, dealing with one of the players. And they have a Limerick-born sporting director, a guy called Chris O'Loughlin. So there's an, there's an Irish... In, and they'll immediately start to get, in, get some Irish fans as well. Um, but it is a really... I think it's a really interesting piece. And as I said, it, it's, it's how they... Like, they're... they're, they're Stadium is in central Brussels, very near the Eurostar terminal, and they have 9,400 4, 9, seats. Um, and they've they kind of made a, uh, an open-air festival. You know, they've kind of gone this anti-fascism, anti-racism, anti-community, uh, uh, very much community spirit. And they've built a following already from that. And as I said, by the, by the money that these guys have brought in, Obviously, they're building success as well. Um, and, the, and the interview is actually with uh, one of their players um, uh, who's 
who is uh, 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 taking an easy route. Christian I think. Christian Burgess, exactly, yeah. So they're looking at him from the point of view of even he's left at his politics and he, he has a degree. His dissertation was on naval arms race between Britain and Germany. He's a vegan and a Labour Party member. So it's a really... Naval arms race between Britain and Germany? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what years? It's bizarre. It's a bizarre stuff. Um, but it's a really interesting read, I think, because when you think of how do you build... How do you, how do you build... Uh, identification with with a team. How do you build a league? Uh, how do you monetize it? All those things are worth in, 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 are worth looking at. I think you know. It's a f- fascinating case study, and obviously we've got us through. You mentioned there one of the Irish angles there, and also Josh Cullen playing his trade in in Belgium at yeah. the moment is a very yeah. interesting case study, yeah. especially when it comes to exporting players. So they're top of uh, the Belgian first division with sixty points at the moment after twenty six games. That goes into a playoffs after thirty four games. So that's going to be a big story that'll probably pop up again. It's page fourteen and fifteen in the Sunday. Times it's Jonathan Northcroft. Uh, just before we move off football entirely, you did mention the League of Ireland there. It is on our doorstep, the new season. You wanted to mention this piece with Owen Doyle, done by Dan MacDonald in the Sunday Independent. Full circle completed on Doyle's own terms. A uh, recession made him an accidental pro. No one could have predicted what lay ahead. He is back from uh, a career in England. He is back playing with uh, St. Pat's and he has had quite the career in England, I think it's fair to say, from uh, pr- going through all the different leagues and I think probably his time at Cardiff is the, 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 the piece that probably sticks out from this this yeah. article. Yeah, well, he, he, I think it's a good piece by Dan, Dan McDonnell and it's, it's basically what he's saying is, you know, even even young young people uh, you know, thinking about going abroad at the moment and, you know, with or without the Brexit thing, but like what you could learn just by reading and talking to this guy, uh, given given all of Owen Doyle's experiences, yeah, like in Cardiff, uh, they Vincent Tanny's got a, he's got some brilliant stories on things that happened to him with owners or managers. But <laughs> there was that he was he met Vincent Tanny tra- who arrived with his bouncer at one of their training sessions, and you know they're talking away, and and he was actually talking to Tan thinking this guy is you know knows he knows a bit about football he's quite good and and he said you know maybe uh, maybe I've you know misread him and then he says you've got a good goal scoring record we're delighted with that and if you can give us a return of 10 that'd be great and the bouncer said yes 10 goals between now and in the end of the season and Tan said no 10 today (laughs) all he could say was I'll give you everything I have Mr Tan but he you know bizarre he's got some bizarre stories He, uh, he was in um was it Oldham as well? Yeah. They owned the Moroccan, they had a Moroccan owner. Um, and again, it just some of the stories are brilliant. He's um, and goals everywhere he's gone. Yeah. Amazing. He said this week again he was at the League of Ireland launch. He was saying at, at 33, I think. I didn't want to come home at 36 when I wouldn't be as effective. So if he's the same guy that scored 19 goals last season in League One, yeah. the League of Ireland are about to get a star. Mm. Like, it's, it's exactly it, what the league needs. A 33-year-old's prolific Irish striker back from England when he when he could have easily kept going for two more years over Yeah, there. that's what he's saying. But he's saying he, he also has business interests here yeah. and, he, and he, he's, he's involved with the creche. So he want, he figured, I don't want to leave it too late to come back and start again. Good luck. He's trying to find a house he can afford in Ireland. You know, you think coming back into League of Ireland, that won't be easy. But it's a, it's a really interesting piece. But fascinating on the insight into some of the stuff that goes on in, in at, at some clubs and you know uh, the stories really that we, we rarely hear from players but this kind of stuff that goes on the, the irony here is that the piece is done 
in the Ballyboden GA yeah. Clubhouse yeah. Uh, as we talked about facilities earlier on. It's because that's where his uh, one of the locations for his childcare business is set up, which probably shows the actual structural facilities that they have in Ballyboden to be able to, to facilitate something like that. a great club, yeah. Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely huge operation. So so he's back. It's very smart guy Like in terms of his, his business interest. He left school before doing his leaving cert, he said, uh, and opted to go qualify as an electrician yeah. and get earning. And then the crash happens and unemployment made him a full-time footballer by accident. Uh, Dan writes, and uh, his career progressed to a professional deal at Sligo Rovers, uh, and that form that made Hibs his first British employer. So it's uh, a great career, well worth. Georgie Kelly, Georgie Kelly leaving as well. It's the, yeah. the league needs another yeah, striker that can yeah. everyone can stamp their name on. You know what I mean? That can be the like he has. If it just, you know, as I said, if he transfers the goals he was scoring last year. Um, he'll be way too good for a lot of the League of Ireland teams yeah. I also think if he passes on half the wisdom that he's accumulated to some of the people he's playing with would be huge. you know what I mean it's genuinely you know it, it would be brilliant for them to hear of experiences and understand I suppose you know what the game is about you know as a, as a pro the difficulties still facing Irish players and there's a good piece I thought Paul Rowan had a nice piece as well with uh, Stephen Bradley in the Sunday Times as well just on it really I thought one of the things that's interesting these are all linked into the to, 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 to the restart of the League of Ireland but very interesting what he says about scouting he said scouting made me a better coach and I think that's really interesting because he said you look you look you look at the game with a completely different eye when you work as a scout mm. and actually you learn a lot as it made me he said I just I just looked at a completely different way looking at finer details and he said actually it made me a better coach so I think it's interesting because we see scouts and coaches as two completely different people absolutely that's very interesting so that's Stephen Bradley in the Sunday Times Sports Times, section yeah, today Paul Rath, Paul Rath. Um, just want to pivot to Gaelic games then because there's been a, a bit written on the scenes between Tyrone and Armagh last week David Goff sending off four Tyrone players and an Armagh player was the story of the Gaelic games weekend last week and it is interesting that while there's been a tone of you know there was an overreaction from the referee uh, I think actually the prevailing tone has been David Goff did the right thing here and yeah. what he did should be followed by all other referees Colm O'Rourke is certainly taking that line Goff did what needed to be done is the headline on his piece in page 11 of the Sunday Independent Sports section he says it's over to authorities now to stamp out the nonsense he says what David Goff did should empower referees perhaps we will see more refs flashing red cards at anyone getting involved in somebody else's squabble he says the immediate reaction last Sunday was a suggestion that an appeal was imminent, especially from Tyrone, who had four sent off. I'm not sure if there's been any development on that since. I don't think since. there has been any. There doesn't seem to have been any, which is really interesting. That this maybe then uh, make. Mick Foley has a good piece as well. They're the two two pieces yeah. in the in Sunday Times as well. Michael Shea it. makes a and good point as well in the mail on Sunday. He goes, my former teammate Ty Canelli offered a very simple but sensible solution to the nonsense we wish it in, we witnessed in the Gaelic grounds. In the AFL, fo- following these uh, pushing festivals, officials restart plays straight away, ensuring players return their focus immediately to the action. It's a good way of stopping a yeah. ball. Well, yeah, but the Aussies, yeah, but they don't usually. Well, they used to in Aussie rules. They wouldn't necessarily follow up with any, you know, seriously. Just throw it up and on yeah, you go. just throw it up and on you go, which is really what, what I think they they tried. Felt they a bit premeditated by David Goff. Is he going okay? Tyrone are playing Armagh. Armagh are on the rise. Tyrone are all Ireland champions. This is going to boil over, and when it does, just yellow and reds by the letter of the law now it is a bit crazy but well it's his style it, it, as well bit, to stand it, back and watch he always does that he always he stands back the flag in the ground there going yes well that's and if the, everyone if, it, if him if him and his officials are backed everyone now knows that that could happen in championship three four red cards well that's could the happen, big question which and might that, stop the messing because yeah, it was yeah. mostly messing you know what I mean it was kind of like I'm, I'm a better Greco-Roman wrestler than you, you know? 
<laughs> We'd better get an Olympic team together in the, uh, the, the <laughs> Greco-Roman wrestling. Yeah, it's exactly that. But but when Colin O'Rourke, uh, Mick Foley, and Mick Foley quotes a lot of different you know piece, people that talk to even on podcasts, in, including your own one here, um, with uh, with Paddy Andrews and James O'Donoghue and Tommy during the week, you know that like for years we know that the rule amongst players and teams is one in, all in, and then nobody will get nobody will get in serious punishment. That's how it works. Everybody just goes in, wrestles around, and off we go again. Um, so, but but it hasn't been stamped out and so if they want to stamp it out they're saying you know uh, Goff has put down a marker here and will will teams the really interesting thing I think is on what you said sorry will um, w- will there be any appeals if there aren't any appeals then we know that actually the penny's Parker. dropped. Penny has dropped. and, and spent uh, the first five years of this century writing about Tyrone Armagh appeal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's none to be Absolutely. Harm. Yes, but especially with Fergal Logan's profession as well. He, <laughs> he was there in the background trade, all of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, it's actually a really interesting point that I think it's called my work makes it, is that, so if, if they do appeal something like this, it is essentially the Tyrone County Board leading the charge in this appeal, which is totally at odds with, say... Who are it, the Tyrone County Board who are, doing, who are trying to stamp this out at club level. Club level, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, had, I hadn't really thought of it in See, that that's level. always the, been the irony the great irony of yeah. these things you know um, it is yeah so, so like the, the, the kind of greater kind of conversation around this and kind of like what it says about the the, the mentality of the GA player is very interesting and you mentioned some of the the, the podcast quotes in Mick Foley's piece uh, Mick Foley writes uh, Gaelic Games is living through an era transformed by science and minute physical and mental preparation yet participation in a brawl is still seen as a bonding tool or proof it of a player's bizarre. fidelity to some hyped so up cause nice. yeah. it's a warped inversion of all those principles it is, it is the, the one thing I mean everything's kind of moved away from the caveman mentality except for fighting it's the, it's the big thing, you know, it's it's absolutely like going true. to defend your, your teammate because he's being pushed around. Or the notion it's not that as violent as they used to be, though, these brawls. You, you know. well, they've no. got smarter. You close your fist now. Yeah. Or sorry, you don't close your fist. Don't close your fist. Holding the jersey, three-inch Bruce Lee punches yeah, is the one that you have to perfect. But he's so right, like, you know, the notion that this is a psychological bonding thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But the, 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 the level of preparation and the backroom teams in GA and the psych, psych, psychologists working with people now, and yet this has seemed to be a big bonding thing. I never get that, you know, and he does... He does show that to be just such a bizarre mismatch, really, in terms of and that. And Northern teams be Kerry, especially Kerry. He's always just drag Clifford, rip his shirt, drag him down into the muck, and like yeah. So to get it stamped out is is a good thing. But yeah. I, 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 and I don't, I don't know that that you know it's never black and white. Obviously, you know what I mean. But you, you could, you could rerun a tape of that forever and be going right. You know, he did that and he did that or whatever. Mm. But nobody threw a punch. So where do you go? But it's, it's that rule of. You know the the people who go into a row that that they weren't involved in it. It just wasn't ever used, and they finally look as if they whether they've told referees it's time to actually implement it, or whether that was a uh, David Goff, you know, just doing it himself. We don't know. Um, Colm O'Rourke does make the one which drives me absolutely nuts, and he does point out, and that's the one of people not giving the ball back, yeah. and that's very often what kicks these things off, and it drives me crazy. And there was they started getting strict on that at some point, and then they just stopped doing it again. But he's saying like the deterrent for that should be black card, move, 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 the, move the play up fifty meters and get on with it, because that was. That was clearly a deliberate thing that people were doing for years, and it is one of the. Th- it's always creates flashpoints, like it does, it does happen, particularly late in the game. You know, if scores are close, whatever it does happen. And with Tyrone and Armagh back, look, looking like contenders again, we, could, we probably will see the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. we can see it anywhere. In fairness, yeah. Maybe yeah. that's it. Maybe they saw that the, the two rising tides from this great rivalry were coming back, and they, they said to themselves, "We need to do something about this." So, like, it's it's um, it's going to be interesting to see if there's going to be other referees who take up. 
the David Goff method because it is there in in the rule book. Uh, and they're applying it? it now. Yeah, contributing to a melee is the exact phraseology. So maybe Tyrone have seen that and decided an, an appeal wouldn't necessarily get through that. Uh, on that same page, uh, Keenan, we might start off with you on this one. Um, Mick Foley is also writing on the potential amalgamation of all the different Gaelic games bodies. Uh, the a GPA motion is going to Congress to see a proper timeline to hurry on the wandering 10-year journey, writes Mick Foley, to amalgamation between the GEA, the LGFA and the Camogie Association. And his whole point in this article, or his whole question is, why is this taking so long? Who has been stopping this? But he does go on to kind of paint a picture of, I guess, why you might understand why the LGFA have been dragging their heels a little bit. Yeah, it's never clear to me why anybody is is dragging their heels on this in some in some ways. But then I also understand in other ways why they would do it. So I'm kind of in the middle ground here. But he's saying that look, so the, so it, it might have gone under the radar this week because I think you know a lot of stuff was going on. But the GPA threw out this threw up a, a motion and they wanted they wanted they were really just looking to get a timeline on what they're really talking about when they talk about amalgamation because we keep hearing about it and it, you know it goes back as far as Liam O'Neill who who was really the first one to give it a decent push I think. Um, but you know, ninety-seven percent of GPA members are in favour of it. Um, he's saying the government wants it, Sport Ireland wants it, uh, the GPA and the WGPA merged in the last year. So now they're, they feel now there's a power here that they can then at least put it on the table and have a discussion about it and see where is it happening. Um, he's saying that the LGFA are the ones who who appear least willing to to go in under the uh, 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 commercial umbrella uh, or go in under the one body um, and you hear you hear off off the record and on the record stuff you don't know it, it would certainly seem to me that the Komoge Association have more to gain because they have less money and less power and less numbers and by going in under the one umbrella and trying to get this one club and then one county thing going together there's more for them the LGFA are far more advanced um, in many ways than a, a lot of sporting organisations in this country and I think at their at their um at Congress this year, they're going to announce they have more than 200,000 playing members. So that's right. a big, big population of members. Do you know what I mean? And they do incredible work. Like even during during lockdown, some of the stuff they were doing in terms of just education and promoting ex player, former players, and they just they just never stopped. You know what I mean? They are an incredibly forward thinking, I think, proactive organisation. So. The argument there is, what do they stand to gain if they go in? And one of the key things that would go to stand to gain, for I think, for everybody is we wouldn't have these constant clashes. Yeah. You know, but you are talking about people will have to give up stuff. You know, uh, some clubs and some county boards are brilliant in sharing facilities and and doing things co- collaboratively, but some aren't. So and and also I think. The example of women's rugby now very different constituency because women's rugby didn't don't have anything like the playing numbers, but like there was a big call for women's rugby to go in under the IRFU, and then when they did go in under the IRFU, they seemed to have discovered that a lot of what they heard was just pure lip service. A lot and of regret actually, it, yeah, yeah, and regret it. Seventeen yeah. women's World Cup here, which was just a disaster. A lot of them were saying, oh, "Like we shouldn't have done this. We shouldn't yeah. have gone in with them." And the lack of ambition gave them an excuse to actually sideline us. Yeah, um, but it is very different constituency. It's a very different constituency. Like Mick Foley's key line is: "The GA's hierarchy knows privately this is the only way forward, ethically, politically, practically, and financially." Now that means that uh, financially was the most interesting uh, word he used there. So that means it is a benefit to them financially. They, they won't have to give up too much if they, everyone comes under one umbrella. I'd like to know more detail about that. Yeah, I mean that's a big. Yeah, there's a lot to come through that. But but I suppose the other thing is is what is the what is the benefit to the GAA? 
you know, I think that socially now it is seen as how could there be three different organisations running Gaelic games in this country when, you know, one of the games of the year last year and one of the teams of the year were women's football and anybody who was a GA fan supported them, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And every and feels they should be getting exactly the same as the men in their county. So, it, they, you know, things we've said for years about Dublin and Cork. And also, it's my information as well that even successful female uh, ladies football teams, even if they do have the same sponsors and the same support, they don't get the same cut as the men. And that's the reality if, if, if they were to reveal figures. They're battling all the time. Sure, even we remember, that's why it, the Dublin women, if you remember Mick Bowen said, that's why they, they allowed access and made that Blue Sisters documentary mm. was because they said that's the right. money we'll get for that now, we will use to feed players after training, you know, because they didn't have that at the time. Well, we can keep it down because it's well, professional, amateur, two different things, and that's the way. But the FAI have a similar problem at the moment now because they they, they didn't come out and say it outright in their strategy, but they said that they're, they're almost about to say we'll punish a club that doesn't have a women's set team, doesn't have structures. And Vera Pau spoke in detail this yeah. week about how if you don't give a new... There is no pathway for the 10, 11, 12-year-old girls and there should be several streams of pathways for... Does she, the really good ones should stay playing with boys. There need to be... They need to change how the, the rules are for 11, 12-year-old girls to play with boys. They need to, And then they need to be put into good, streamlined leagues, which you just don't to, exist. You need to create competitive Once everyone's under the same exactly. roof, which the FAI are now grappling with, once that comes under the trim, the GA have no argument to ignore or to not scope, like really make giant leaps towards equality. And, and you see, the government has has talked about introducing a, a mandatory uh, percentage of having um, balance gender balance on your boards. So yeah, they're, they're, it's forty percent. They're looking at for I think it's twenty twenty three, um, and so that puts the GA under pressure because they 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 need to get more more female in the administrative or the, the board yeah. side of their thing. That can play into the LGFA's hands a huge amount. You'd, you'd suspect in in, yeah. in response to the danger of being pushed to one side, they know that that number has to go from twenty percent to four. 40%, they know that they'll have to be in positions of power and they know that they can utilise that to ensure that they get off to a solid start here. Well, 2017, this came up in the Oireachtas when the three CEOs from GAA, FAI and the IRFU were there and Philip Brown was, he said, no, 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 we, we, we can't be using letting quota systems come in where you force us to put them on because the women just don't exist who have the knowledge of the rugby game like the men. And it's there in black and white to this day and it's only four or five years ago he said this, like a, yeah. ludic- oh. a ludicrous thing to say. Yeah. And John Delaney two seconds later stood up and supported him going. And like but that same year, the IRFU if you made a mess of a World Cup, a women's World Cup at home, and we knew that their the women's football team were trading their tracksuits in airport toilets. Yeah. So like they, the the trick is if you're a part of a major sporting organisation is you wait, don't let the government get a nice clean PR day with bringing in quotas or bringing in forcing you to do things. Just get out and get ahead of it. Get ahead of like it. So I many, think that's the point. And so this is his point. progressive sporting organisations in Australia and other places yeah. around the world. They've just got out ahead of it. Like World Rugby just saw such an easy one there by adding. They didn't, they didn't make you so move men. It's they a just huge growth area. They gave you three them. representatives as opposed to two on their main decision-making board three years ago that forced, and there can't be a man. The third person has to be a woman. Yeah. Well, uh, he does point out, like he was saying, in the 2017 five-year strategic plan by the the LGFA, it didn't contain a single substantive section on amalgamation. Now, I think the conversation has moved on, on since then anyway. Um, and it, I, one thing that caught my eye very much this, this in the past year on was uh, the Camogie Association saying that they were they were um, amalgamating with the GA on commercial work. Yeah. And that's a really interesting thing to see. So they can see there that they benefit. Whereas the LGFA in the past year, every single little 
uh, like a new initiative, whether it's girls football or whatever, they've got sponsors, new sponsors for everything. Their sponsors, literally, it looks to me, queuing up to get involved with women's football. So there's lots of reasons why they would feel, you know, we can manage on our own. But I would love to hear them at some point say why why do we think amalgamation isn't a good idea right now or when would we be... Because the players want it because the problem for them is it give, you know, when they have problems with funding or, or access to pitches or That's what I was going to say. Clashes, pitches is the main pitches thing here. Is a it huge really does thing. Come, pitches and, and is, changing rooms. This is. Is a, this is a huge issue because we know already that in some GA clubs they haven't got enough pitches for their, their current underage structure. So if they bring in more teams um, and, and they expand their women's side, where do they play games, you know? but this would create a whole different talk about equality and who gets you know who 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 gets so that's a big issue and that's why the players want it they really do they feel and they don't want any more fixture clashes now look at Mead County Board with a classic example of this year you know ran their county men's county final and the women's county final on the same day you know and that was a big move to do that and i think that's we're going to, we need to see more and more of that and if that if we see that working then you know that's how you can see amalgamation is the or way to go. do them one day apart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even like a big you definitely league, don't you know, clash them. Yeah, just just put them a day apart. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, give it's, everyone give everyone I think their it's, it stage. is definitely. Um, and I was talking to some players this week at the launch of the Women's National League, and I'm delighted to see the, the Sunday Indoor give uh, give a good piece. Nadine Darty has a whole page this week on the, the the relaunch of the Women's National League and previews of all the teams and everything. But you're talking to players, they're like. Why, why are we not all part of one organisation at this stage and when will it happen? Yeah. So there is a growing appetite for it. It seems like a, an obvious step at this point. Uh, just one last thing we just wanted to touch on before we wrap up. Uh, Kina, if you want to pick this up, it's uh, page 60 and 61 of the, the Mail on Sunday. Mark Gallagher got a two-page spread on Serrano Taylor, April 30th at Madison Square Garden. Breaking barriers for a multitude of reasons. April 30th, New York's Madison Square Garden is shaping up to be a fight to remember. He kind of covers everything from yeah, the, 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 the fighters really to the commercial aspects to obviously some of uh, the issues around the fight as well. Yeah, I love his line on on, uh, on Hearn and he says his bladder can be hard to take at times but there's no doubt that Hearn is a definitely carefully managed tailor. Yeah, really good overview of why this is see, being seen. Now, now when the, when it was launched, uh, it was very interesting because uh, all the, the promoters were straight on saying this is the fastest selling fight, the second fastest selling fight ever in the history of, the, of Madison Square Gardens. But I actually, if I could afford to get the flight, I would definitely go because do you know what price the tickets are? What are they? Fifty-six dollars. It's cheap, isn't it? That is, you know. You, you wouldn't get a. You wouldn't get a. a, a you barely buy the pay per view that, yeah. for that price. Yeah, do you know true. what I mean? So like eighty bucks. To so yeah, like, and that's like face value. Yeah. And so, so for such a big fight, I was like, why is it so cheap for a start? But if you sell them at that cheap, then you're going to get a big crowd, and obviously you get the Hispanic as well. With the Puerto Rican connection is a huge Hispanic and a big Irish community. This is for loads of reasons. Not not to talk about the quality of the boxers. Uh, this is going to be. Uh, you know, it's fair to say this is is going to be a huge and groundbreaking fight. Um, and he, like he says, uh, I think ta- one of them. Well, I think Taylor, one of Taylor is due to get uh, two million, and Serrano will receive over one million. So you know, that's the level we're talking about here. And he, it's just a really good overview of you know why it is as important as it is now. You know, and he also talks about <laughs> about the place of uh, um, uh, you know our, our the 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 YouTube uh, guy who supports her. Um, Jake Paul. Yeah, Jake. Paul and you know he's been out championing her uh, Serrano very much so um, and, and it's done and a pretty went, good job went, of it went, he has done a really good job of it and, and you know went to went to um 
uh, you know, change words with Bob Aram that, you know... Uh, uh, is it him or his brother just looking to fight Canelo? I, I, that's Jack Paul as well. Him. I'm, I'm it's him. It's that. him. It's yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. So there's a really good overview. Just say it is. It is a very good overview. Um, and it, also, he makes the point that you know boxing at the moment as well. It's a double page, really good reader. He's saying you know most of the top men have been avoiding each other and continue to avoid each other. But actually, this now it's taken a long time to get it together, and that was obviously a, a lot of negotiation involved. But actually, this is a really, really high quality fight. But I, I just yeah. think it's amazing for that price. You know. Um, you would hope the place, you know, should be should be uh, the second biggest seller. It'll be it'll be hopping there that night, no doubt about it. Hey guys, great stuff this morning. Thanks, million for all that. That's uh, today's Sunday paper review. You'll be listening to Gavin Comiskey and Kina Foley over the last little while. You can get the full piece back on podcast. You can download the OTB Sports app and get it there. We'll chat to you next week. The Sunday papers on off the ball.